Well, welcome. My name is Ben. If we haven't had the opportunity to meet yet, I'm the um, pastor here. Hey, as we start our service this morning, um, <laughs> it's kind of an emotional one for I'll let you know, a lot of you guys that are involved. Um, <clears throat> on Friday, there was a, um, you know, a terrible tragedy that happened, uh, and many people's lives were, were changed uh, forever. Um, some people that, that perhaps you were close with, uh, friends, uh, perhaps your family, um, some of you have experienced some things that no one should ever have to experience. And we just want to say, man, we love you. Um, we're here for you. We're praying for you. Um, part of the reason this is, is, I honestly can't tell you the story that I just heard between services, but um, uh, Mora, who passed away, who some, you know, some of you guys know, there were, there were two people. One of them was Mora um, over the last. She first attended our church in the spring. Um, over the last uh, month or so, had become a, a really a part of our church family, uh, and so we're we're mourning today. We mourn as people uh, of, of Scripture um, who have hope. We know many of you uh, knew a lot of the folks, or uh, perhaps just some of the folks. Maybe you have just heard about it, and you're you know kind of mourning as our city mourns. Um, but no matter where you knew, uh, who you knew, and where from, uh, we mourn as people who have hope, uh, because we know that ultimately um, God is is in control. We know that ultimately um, that we, as we look forward to Jesus, uh, this is not the end, and we have a glorious thing uh, called heaven that awaits us, and we get to spend eternity with God. And I, uh, a long time ago. Um, if you're a pastor, uh, you get to speak at everybody you love's funeral, which is not the most wonderful thing, um, but sometimes it is. And I had the honor of speaking at my mom's funeral uh, 10 years ago or so. And <laughs> I talked about how there's this idea that when we mourn um, with hope, oftentimes we, we say, you know, oh, you know, some people would, would comfort me by saying, I know your mom's looking down right now. I know she's, you know, she's seeing you and she's proud of you and all that stuff. And I'm like, man... <clears throat> my mom is looking at God in the face, like I'm talking God of like the universe, the God who sustains all things through the power of his mighty word. Um, <laughs> and she is looking at his throne, right? Like if you've ever read Revelation, you like read it and then you closed it because it was like that stuff is crazy. And, you know, she's like looking at that right now. And if like if she has an option to look at, at like <laughs> the throne of God and God sitting on it, this thing that if any of us were to see him in his glory, we would die. Um, if she's like pausing, you know, hitting the pause button, that so she can watch me play like xbox like mom don't like stop it's not it's a promise you it's not worth it um but we mourn with that hope that, that we look forward to a, a better future uh and this is not the end of of the story this is just the end of the chapter and so um we're going to pray for a second and just I, I would invite a couple things one um if you have been uh impacted, you know, personally or however, at the end of the service, we're going to have a prayer team that's up here. We'd love to connect with you and love to pray with you. love to follow up. If there's any other way that we can follow up and, and help to love and serve you as you're um, going through this process. Um, if perhaps for you that, that might be a little bit intimidating as you exit the sanctuary immediately on the right, um, there's a set of uh, keychains actual key tags. Um, and what those are for, if you never stop by there, is that you can uh, grab one of the little key tags and you can write just a prayer on it. Um, and our, our hope is that, you know, if you write a prayer, then you go and you hang it on the next little, you know, set of hooks and somebody else will come along and you, you can, by the way, take one as well. Um, but you write a prayer, you set up and someone grabs that uh, little keychain, um, you put it on your keys and throughout the week, um, it's just this constant reminder to be in prayer for whatever's written on that tag. And so we would love for you to do that. If there's any way I can serve 
serve you, we can serve you, we would just love to do it. So please let us know how we can help you as, as many of you, again, are going through some extraordinary things right now. So let's, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for the life that we have in you, Jesus. And we ask that you would be close, as you say in your word, to the brokenhearted, close to those who mourn. God, we know we don't mourn as those who have no hope, but we mourn as those who do have hope in you, Jesus. Though, though it hurts now, though it is painful, though it is lost, though it is unimaginable in many ways, we know you are the limitless, boundless, ultimate, and good God. And so we take rest in that. Knowing that you sent your son, Jesus, to this earth, for us. We know that you love us. You gave your son to die for us. And so God, I pray the peace that passes understanding will guard hearts, will guard minds. As so many people are walking through extraordinary seasons of mourning, of hurt, and as it will go on, and especially, again, for the friends and the families who are close to the period, people who either did not survive or survived but now lived with the, the chaos of what happened. Pray for our city. Pray for restoration. We pray, pray for redemption. But ultimately, we thank you, God, that we do hope that this is not the end. And that we do have you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. I'm going to try not to like blubber my way through the rest of this sermon. <laughs> um, so we started a series, JC and the OT, because we didn't have any other creative thing to call it, so it just rhymed. Um, <laughs> just to be honest. Um, but the reason is, is because as you look in the Old Testament, or as you look actually in the New Testament, uh, Jesus death uh, was really, really unexpected. Uh, performed lots of miracles, lots of wonderful teachings. If you ever read the accounts of, of Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus dies. As he comes back from the dead, nobody expected him to come back from the dead because nobody expected him to die. So he comes back from the dead and everybody, you know, is kind of taken aback by this. And they're trying to connect the dots between, wait a second, we thought you were the Messiah. We thought you were going to restore the nation of Israel to its place of political, military, um, and religious prominence, but yet you died. So we, maybe he's a prophet, maybe he's a wise teacher, but definitely not the son of God. And then he shows back up and they say, okay, well, so apparently you are the son of God, but why did you die? And so Jesus' first step, which is pretty fascinating, his first, the first thing he does is he begins, as the Bible talk says it, he begins, as actually Luke says it, he begins to show them the scripture regarding himself. In other words, he began to look into the Old Testament and say, let me show you why and how this was the plan all along. And last week we, we launched it with, with Genesis and we were kind of keying in on Genesis chapter three, where man sins, death, destruction, all evil enters the world through that sin. And as sin enters the world, God gives a promise before he gives a consequence. Before God even said, okay, here is going to be your punishment for the sin that you've committed, he said, there's going to be a promise of a Messiah. The way that Genesis talks about it is that there's going to come, there, you know, through woman, 
through this lady, she's going to have a child, which was the first kind of foretelling of a, of a virgin birth because it, it was a patriarchal, not a matriarchal society, that through a woman's going to come a seed in this seed, that it's, it's going to step on the head of the serpent. It's going to kill and destroy it, but the serpent is also going to strike its heel. It's not going to come without pain. That though Satan, the enemy, would ultimately be destroyed through Jesus, it would cost Jesus at the same time. Well, so as, as, as Adam and Eve then have a son, a couple of sons, Cain and Abel, and they kind of fly off the rails a little bit. One kills the other, and, and the world just kind of starts to begin to spin out of control with death and destruction and, and, and things that enter in. Um, <clears throat> on the back end of that, there's this big flood that happens. And depending on your, your religious studies, you've probably heard of this. In fact, um, one of the things that was fascinating, I, I was a religion major at Florida State, which I loved because it's not like, here's what the Bible thinks. It's here's what all of secularism, here's what all of a bunch of different thoughts and a bunch of different faiths think and believe. And so it helped me to kind of wrestle with this idea of God and this thing that I had kind of been handed at a younger age. And so as I'm, uh, I'm hearing about this, you know, there's all these different religions that had this flood narrative, this flood narrative, this flood narrative. And, and oftentimes the thought is, so see, you're not special or unique. <laughs> to which my response is, see, there was a flood. Okay, if everybody's just kind of agreeing, perhaps it happened. Anyways, kind of a digression for the sermon. But um, this, this big flood happens, right? And, and many of you know the biblical account of, of what happens, that there was a guy named Noah. And Noah built this big ark. And, and honestly, this whole like story just really to me, I, I, I geek out on because I think we were a little bit, not a little bit, we're very misguided. You know, we get really skeptical, but we get really skeptical about the wrong things. It's like, so how did the animals come two by two on the boat? You know, like, like how many different forms of squirrels? Like, did you really actually, were you, at, at, you know, hurting cats? You were actually able to get cats on the boat? By the way, who wants a cat on a boat? That sounds like hell. You know, that's, that's definitely not, you know, like maybe you got to preserve them, but we could have left those ones out. But, you know, and how, 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 could all, how could all this happen? And it's funny because we're like, yeah, so how did that happen? See, some of you are like, man, see, this is, why I don't, you know, this is why I don't believe in God. Let me, let me tell you. What we believe is that God saw all the evil, preserved this one family, and annihilated the earth. If we're going to be skeptical, let's at least be educated in our skepticism, right? What we believe is that essentially... The world was drowned in the flood. And then this family from Noah that's preserved gets back on dry land. God says, okay, I want you to go. I want you to multiply, have children, and I want you to, to spread it. I want you to inhabit the entire earth. So they start to have children, start to have children, start to have children, start to multiply. And in their multiplication, they begin to congregate as opposed to separate. And then congregating, they build this huge kind of tower to themselves to say, we want to glorify and make a name for ourselves. Which is the Tower of Babel that you've, again, read about in, probably in the book of Genesis where the language gets separated. And in Genesis 12... Enters the scene a guy who at this point is going by the name of Abram, but is going to be you know, known eventually as Abraham. In other words, Father Abraham. And many of you who you heard of Father Abraham, Father Abraham had many sons and many sons had. And I am. And so are. Very good. We're not going to go any farther than that. But let's just say, like, if you did not know that song, count yourself blessed, okay? That means you didn't go in, like, a nerdy Sunday school. But, yeah, Father Abraham, many sons. So God, you know, basically says, you know, I'm going to make this nation. This is what we're going to read about. And, and here's why we're going to read about this today. Here's why this is so important. What many scholars will say is beginning in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, 
is the center point of redemptive history. In other words, as you look at, as I look at, as we look at the redemption of mankind, God reuniting and drawing people unto himself, that everything before Genesis 12 leads to Genesis 12, and everything from Genesis 12, 1 through 3, is a fulfillment of Genesis 12, 1 through 3, that many people, not even to hype it up, they will say that it is the center point of redemptive history. And here's what we're going to find, and here's why I think this is important besides it's just, you know, interesting information. We all wrestle with a central idea, a problem, if you will, of how do I find myself in God's good graces? And depending on the faith that you were raised in or the lack of faith that you were raised in, we all have different beliefs. Some of us are raised in faiths that basically said, if you go to church enough, if you behave enough, if you behave your modification enough, if you moral enough, if you give enough, if you serve enough, then God will look at you and he will be happy with you. And so what got brought to you in the form of religion was this moralistic structure that you had to obey. And when you didn't, you felt guilty, and we made you feel guilty. And somebody got up on stage and said, you're a sinner, and you're a horrible, horrible, horrible person. And you walked away feeling like, I'm a horrible, horrible, horrible person. For some of us, it was, you weren't raised maybe in, in, in a particular faith. You were raised around people who had faith, the people who went to church, but you, didn't ra- you weren't raised in a church family. And for you, perhaps it was a similar idea, but it was just kind of like, be a good person, right? At the end of the day, if the good outweighs the bad, you're going to go to a better place if there is a better place. Now, what's fascinating is even though God begins the narrative in Genesis chapter 12, he actually began it before, but really spells it out in Genesis chapter 12, it was the fight that they were fighting in the early church, which is still the fight that we're fighting today which is that if I behave well enough, God will be good with me. If I behave well enough, if I'm moral enough, if I help enough, if I serve enough, if I attend enough, if I'm good enough, then God will be good with me. But the truth is, since Genesis 12, since before Genesis 12, but explicitly in Genesis 12, that could not be further From the truth. If you got your Bible, you can go to Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1. God talks to um, Abram. That little background with Abram, um, he was not like a huge God follower. He, he, he actually came from a pagan background. He was not of the, you know, what we would consider now the Judeo Christian monotheistic God. Nonetheless, verse 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. So he says, Abram, I'm speaking to you. And Abraham, I'm I'm about to do something with you. It's been leading up to this point, and everything's going to flow from this point. But Abraham, let me tell you what I'm going to do. I know you're a pagan and and, and all that, but, but come on. I've called you by name 
specifically. And Abram, I'm going to do something with you, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a land. There were three essential promises. There was a number of promises that were nuanced in this, but there were three essential promises. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you a descendant, and I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you descendants. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to give you a land. Abraham, these are Abram, these are all, this is all the land I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you descendants. You're going to have this huge family, and I'm going to make your name great. Now, I could go through all the names of all the great kings at that time. You would probably not know any of them. But I just want to real quick pause and say, will you raise your hand if before you walked into this morning, you had heard of Abraham? Anybody heard of Abraham? Okay, I'm just saying, if you're skeptical, you should at least contemplate how in the world do you know about a guy that lived thousands of years ago who wasn't even a big deal. But God says to him, I'm going to make your name great. In fact... At the end of verse 3, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In other words, Abraham, or Abram, because of you, because of what I'm going to do in you, because of what I'm going to do through you, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. Now, here's why this is important. For much of the Jewish thought at the time, especially in the New Testament, as as Jesus showed up on the scene, everybody who was of the nation of God or the people of God were almost predominantly Jewish, and they thought that this was a Jewish type of religion, that the Messiah would come for the Jews. And all of a sudden, this thing happened where Gentiles, people who weren't of the Jewish faith, who didn't have the lineage of God, started hearing the gospel, hearing the truth of Jesus. They would place their faith, their hope in Jesus. The Holy Spirit would be apparent in their life, and they kind of said, well, what do we do with this? Because up to this point, it's only been about the Jews, only been about, been about the nation of Israel. And now here's these Gentiles, these, they would call them sinners, who are coming to faith. And they would look back at Abraham in Genesis 12 and say, no, 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 no. God said that through Abraham, through his seed, through his lineage, through his descendants, the entire world, not just the Jews, the Gentiles as well, the entire world is going to be blessed. That there is going to come, essentially, a Messiah who is not going to be exclusive to a group, but accessible for everyone. Well, so as the story goes, as many of you know it, Abraham has a wife, They don't have kids. Years go by, years go by, years go by. He starts to question. Not, not God, are you there? But God, I know you're there, and I know what you promised, but this is what I see. And I'm trying to have it, I'm having a difficult time making sense of what you've promised and what I've experienced. So this is what happens in Genesis 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. He says, fear not, Abram, I am your shield, your servant, your very great, your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Now, here's what would happen. If they did not have someone, to, a, a, a male heir to inherit what was theirs or what was their, you know, kind of families to pass down, their nation and all the things that God had promised, if they didn't have someone, they would pick a favorite servant. So, you know, Abram says to God, God, hey, I hear you and I believe you. And I, you know, I remember you said that in chapter 12, now you're saying it again in chapter 15. But God, <laughs> I don't know if you've looked around. There ain't no son. Right now, all I have is Eleazar, and like, like he's like, he's okay, you know, he's he's mediocre, but he's not he's he's not a son. 
Verse 4, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, being Abram. This man, talking about Eleazar, should not be, shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look towards heaven. And number the stars if you were able to number, number them, which the obvious answer was he can't. Because even if you could like count that high, which he debatably probably couldn't, you know, you kind of get confused. I don't know if you've ever actually tried to, to count stars. Literally impossible, right? Because you start recounting. It's like you move from left to right, but like when do you actually go left and the earth is rotating? Anyways, <clears throat> I've never tried it, but let's just say I nerd out sometimes. Anyway, so... If you're able to number them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Now, what's significant about this, in this next verse, he is going to say something that was so extraordinary there that all of the writers of the New Testament are going to begin to pull from. And, and, and here's the, the confines, or here's the, the basic idea of what God just said. You're going to have a descendant. You're going to have an heir. You're going to have a descendant. You're going to have an heir. If you don't know how to interpret the Bible, here's kind of like a, an interpretation method. The Bible is the best way to interpret the Bible. So if, if someone in the New Testament interprets something from the Old Testament, that's the interpretation that we take. In other words, the New Testament interprets and helps us to understand the Old Testament as, that was, as it was written and understood um, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so as he begins to interpret this, Paul in Galatians 3 says that this seed, this heir that was promised was not multiple heirs, but there was one heir that God was going to bless, that he was going to, yes, make all these descendants great, but there was going to come this one seed, this one person, this one Messiah. And so Abram, the next verse, believed the Lord, and he, being God, counted it to him, Abram, as righteousness. Now, this, it's hard to describe how impactful this would be to the rest of the Judeo-Christian turning into just the Christian world. And here's why. What he just said was that Abram was righteous. Abram was right with God. He was counted good with God. He was counted as forgiven by God simply because he believed God. In the New Testament, after what would happen a couple hundred years from now, the nation of Israel would go into Egypt. They would become enslaved. There would be this guy named Moses. Moses would deliver them. Moses would go up on this mountain called Sinai. In, this, in Mount Sinai, they would give him not just the Ten Commandments, but hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of commandments. And as they would go, they would say, okay, this is what God would want you to do. This is what God would want you to do. This is what God would want you to do. And in that became this moralism, 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 moralism. But what Paul would then go through in Galatians chapter 3, especially verse 16, if you ever want to read through it, Romans chapter 4, this is the argument that he is making from Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, and this is essentially what it is. Since the beginning with Abraham, righteousness righteousness with God was through faith in God. We found ourselves and find ourselves right with God, not by behaving, but we find ourselves right with God by believing. But in our belief, our belief spurs us on towards obedience. Now, now here is is the, the subtle but dynamic difference. We don't obey God 
in order to get right with God. We are right with God, therefore we are compelled to live for him. You see, for many of us, we were raised in this thought process that if you believe, if you behave, 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 then maybe God, when you die someday, will be okay with you. Say, okay, yeah, I guess, you know, Karen, you can come in, you know, Billy, yeah, sure, why not, you know, <clears throat> you know, whoever. <laughs> you say, no, no, no. Since Genesis, this has been the confines. Righteousness through faith. Righteousness through faith. Justification that we are good with God because we believe. That it is not in the New Testament context. It is not because of the fact that we moral our way. But it's that we realize that we're, in all, in, we're all innately sinful. We all have sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And because of that are alienated from God. And since Genesis, the plan for God has not been to earn your way. The plan from God has become believe your way. And as you believe, as you place your faith, your hope, your trust in him. You are compelled to live like and for him. But Abraham, you know, honestly still wasn't really sure. Like he believed God, but he's saying, God, I'm struggling with this. I'm wrestling with this. And this is an important difference. Abraham's struggle and his wrestling was not a wrestling and a, and, a, and a struggle for faith. It was a struggling and a wrestle from faith. Here's the difference. Struggling for faith means that, God, I just don't know that you're there. From faith is, God, I know that you're there, but I'm trying to make sense of what I see. So Abraham wrestles from a position of faith saying, God, I believe in you, but here's what I see, and I just don't, it doesn't line up. So he says back to God, or God continues to say to him, I'm the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, oh, Lord God, how am I to know that you shall possess it? Or that I shall possess it, I'm sorry. Verse 9, and so he, being God, said to him, Abram, Bring me a heifer three years old, a male goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Now, for us, it's like, wait, what? Like, my man, I was just saying, how am I going to know? God, how am I, I want you to know, but, you know but, like, think that like, you're praying to God and like, God, how do I know? How do I know? How do I know? And God's like, okay, I want you to bring like a cat. No, don't bring a cat. You know, I want you to bring a dog. You know, I want you to bring, what else do you guys have? You know, a chicken that's maybe on your farm. I want you to bring, you know, a goat. You know, and you're like, God, where are you going with this? But now here's, here, here's what they do. Here's, here's what culturally they understood. God was preparing to do what's called cutting a covenant. You see, in their day, the way that people related and were, and were obligated to one another was not just simply saying, okay, I'm with you, I believe in you. It was through this mutual understanding, that this, this covenant. It was a relationship. It was a binding agreement. And in this binding agreement, it would always between, be between kind of like a more powerful and a less powerful person. This per, the powerful person, I'll protect you, I'll guide you, I'll guard you. The less powerful person, I'll give you taxes and I'll defer to you. What God was about to do was unheard of. Because Abram knows that God is about to make a covenant with man, which was so totally abstract for them. So as he starts to make this covenant, he says, get all this, this stuff together. The sun was going down. I'm going to skip the next set of verses because we're running a little bit behind. But he says in verse 17, 
comments. I take it back. Sorry, screen people. Verse 10, okay? Then we're going to go to verse 17. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. What a sweet heart. And when the birds of the prey came down, and the carcass says, Abram drove them away. And, he, and here, here was the symbolism. Here's why they cut these things in half and created this wall of blood and animals on both sides. Because the idea was, if either of us aren't faithful to this covenant, may what happened to these animals be done to us. In other words, this was, and this was what the wild part was. God said, if I'm not faithful to my promise to you, Abram, may I as God die. What? Like God die? That doesn't even make sense. He said, no, no, no. Abram, if I'm not faithful to this, may I die. Verse 17. And when the sun had gone down, now Abram comes to, or God comes to Abram in this, in this kind of vision. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. Now, a cloud and a, and a torch, a cloud and a torch. If, if you read ahead, you know that this is how God would, would guide a lot of the people, the, the people of God through the wilderness. This was the uh, basic signification of the presence of God. So all of a sudden, he sees these two things that are the symbols of the presence of God. Behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passes between the pieces. And on that day, this is wildly helpful, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Not the Lord and Abram made a covenant together. Because did you notice? Where normally two people pass through, both the, the, the superior and the inferior pass through to say, if either of us break this covenant or are disobedient to this covenant, may what happened to these animals be done to us. God, in his presence, walks through and creates a unilateral covenant. In other words, Abram, this covenant, this relationship with each other is not going to be based on mutual faithfulness. It is simply going to be based on, Abram, my faithfulness to you. That though you are faithless, though you are unfaithful, I will always, always, always be faithful to you. And if I'm not, may I die. And here's what would eventually come to happen. The nation of Israel would be a lot like us in that it would go away from God and go away from God. And then God would restore them and they'd say, oh my gosh, we're so sorry. And then they'd kind of steer away from God and then God would restore them and say, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. And they'd, you know, kind of this disobedience, repentance, faithfulness, disobedience, repentance, faithfulness. And they'd just go cyclical, cyclically through this process. And eventually, though God said, If I'm unfaithful to this unilateral covenant, may I die. Because of our unfaithfulness, God died anyway. The foretelling of Jesus was apparent in the covenant that he initially cut in Genesis 15. And God says, yeah, let me just clarify because it's never been about your faithfulness. It's never been about your obedience. It's simply, it's simply a realization of my goodness. It's simply a realization of my faithfulness. It's simply a realization that I, God, have created a way for you people, all of us people, to come and to be reconciled, to be righteousness with him based on his faithfulness, not our faithfulness, that we can now have a relationship with God. We are good with God. We are right with God. Not because we believe and not because of our faithfulness, but because we acknowledge that we are wildly unfaithful. But God is always faithful. God is always there. And God sent his one and only son to the earth in recorded time, in recorded history, and died on a Roman cross because of our unfaithfulness. 
And when the world didn't believe it, God rose from the dead so that we could come, be reconciled to him, and live with him in eternity forever. Now, I don't know, you know, obviously where you're from or what you've been through or what your religious thoughts have been to this point, but, but let me tell you. If you've bought into the idea that the summary of religion is behave, 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 and perhaps God will be good with you, the entire narrative of redemptive history of mankind has been the opposite. It's been you can't behave, you can't moral, you can't good person, because we're all sinful. I mean, you know that, I know that, we know that. In fact, right after this, Abraham sins, like, like wild sins. It's like, man, like he like just cut this covenant. It was like, Abraham's like, yeah, I know, but like, hey, you know, we're good now, so let me just go, you know, it's a whole different time for a different day. But the wild thing is, God says, yeah, I know. And in fact, that's why I'm sending my son. When Jesus died, before he died, he says, man, this is my blood of the new covenant. We're going to celebrate communion together next week. He says, man, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for many. In other words, we don't find ourselves in God's good graces because we're good people. It's because of the fact that we're good people. We serve an extraordinary God. And perhaps for you, you have never placed your faith, your hope, your trust in Jesus. You've trusted in everything else. You've trusted in everybody else. Perhaps you've trusted in yourself to be a good enough person. But the truth of the gospel is we're just not good enough. And that's okay because we were never supposed to be. Jesus is. And it's in placing our belief that when he died... He took the penalty, took the judgment, took the sin, took the condemnation that we should have faced because of our rebellion, that in his perfection and in his deityness, he took the sin and the shame and the weight of all of the world square on his shoulders, square on that Roman cross and died for us. So as we believe, we are justified. As we believe, we're declared righteous. Maybe you've never believed that, but today's your day. Maybe you've never believed that. Maybe you used to kind of believe it, but you kind of walked away from it because life got busy and things got distracting and, you know, that semester came up and that season of life came up and that, you know, you know job opportunity came up and you just kind of wandered away. But maybe today is your day that you declare that Jesus is the sole basis his death and resurrection is the sole basis for how we find ourselves in God's good graces. In a second, I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite you to raise your hand if that's you. And I believe that if God has called you, if you've come to that realization, I mean, I could, I, legit, I could tell you, like, the most, do the most wacky thing. And you're like, are you kidding me? I get God. Like, like, I'll go on all fours, quack like a duck, bark like a chicken. Like, it does not matter because I get God. I just think, man, it's just, it's just this wild concept. So, Jesus, thank you so much that you, <clears throat> since Genesis, have been on a mission. Actually, since, since the beginning, before the foundation of the world was laid, God, the Lamb of God, Jesus, was slain. You had this in the beginning. You had this redemption that the writers of the New Testament would draw on this and look back at Abraham and said, way before the law was there, way before the morality was there, righteousness was found through belief. Righteousness was found through faith. That we are right with you, God, not because of what we do, but because of what we believe, because of who you are and what you did for us, Jesus. 
And for many of us, we have tried to work. We have tried to earn. We were just kind of handed that, honestly, oftentimes. But we know that righteousness, a right standing with you, is not found in what we do, but in what we believe. And in what we believe flows into what we do. And so Jesus, today, for the first time, we place our faith, our hope, our trust in you. And if that's you, I'm going to count to three, and I want you to raise your hand. And I'm gonna, not going not gonna to count to three, and then count to three again, and then count to three again, and then count to three again. And like, is there any other? Like, no. I'm like, get, this is like, get your Nikes on and get running. You know, like, this is, let's go for it. Okay, so on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. You're ready to set go. One, two, three. Awesome. Awesome. I see your hand. Very cool. If you just raise your hand, let's pray with me. Heavenly Father, God, I ask, and I say thank you for dying on the cross for me. Come be my Lord. Come be my Savior. I give you my heart. I give you my life. I give you my all. I know that I'm in a right standing with you because I believe that, Jesus, you died for me. To count me right, forgiven, a son and a daughter of the living God. So come be my Lord, be my Savior. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.